I invite you to turn with me in your copy of the Holy Scripture to Genesis 22 this morning, as was read just a moment ago, Genesis 22. It was at 11.30 a.m., May 29th of 1953, that Sir Edmund Hillary achieved fame. He hoisted the British flag atop Mount Everest and became the first human being to ever climb to the top of the world. It was the climax to many long months of planning. The right men had to be chosen to help, the proper equipment brought Long hours had to be spent in training. There had to be rehearsals in Nepal and a period of acclimatization to the height and cold. There had to be early reconnaissance on the ice fall. Then came the buildup, the stockpiling of supplies, the initial climbs. Not until the climbers were ready did they make their final ascents. Heavily burdened, they clawed their way upward through the cold. Every step was fraught with danger and discouragement. Disaster and death lurked in every crevasse, but they kept on, forcing their way toward the summits. In places, they hacked their way up sheer walls of ice, defying fatigue and raging elements, lack of oxygen and the bitter cold. Up and up, the intrepid mountaineer went, clawing his way between the cornice and rock, and then up on the ridge. Steps had to be cut into the snow. Time and strength were both running out when at last, a few more whacks, and the summit was gained. Sir Edmund Hillary and his climbing partner stood where no man has ever stood before that point. At 29,000, two feet above the level of the sea. Even to this day, no man can climb higher than that. But it was in Genesis 22 that there's another mountain. It's not Mount Everest, it's Mount Moriah. And Mount Moriah is the mountain that Abraham and Isaac climbed here in Genesis 22, and I propose that their climb up Mount Moriah was greater than Sir Edmund Hillary's climb up Mount Everest for the sacrifice of Abraham. And the surrender of Isaac was greater than Sir Edmund's. Few men have ever endured the climb up Mount Everest, but fewer still could have endured the climb that we read of here in Genesis 22. From Genesis 22, I've prepared a message titled, Abraham and the Proof of Faith. Let me pause briefly for prayer. God in heaven, we thank you for the sacrifice that was made for us, that amazing grace in which you gave your son to suffer and die in our place. We're grateful for that. And this morning, God, as we read and study the Holy Scripture, as we come to understand this account in Genesis 22, may we see uh, Jesus. For I pray it in his name, amen. Genesis 22, verse number one, now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. Then he said, take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. If you're following the outline I've prepared and presented, number one, the revelation, Abraham's test. The revelation of Abraham's test. Now God commanded Abraham to give Isaac back to him as a burnt offering sacrifice on Mount Moriah. 
But it wasn't like Abraham had 12 sons. He only had one son. It wasn't like Abraham could have more sons. Abraham and Sarah were were old. Isaac was a miracle child. It wasn't like Isaac was just any son. He was the son of promise. Isaac was God's fulfillment of the covenant promises to Abraham. How could God then tell Abraham to offer Isaac back to him as a sacrifice? Folks, this is absurd. This is irrational. But how many times does God's revelation to us not make sense? Yet what God has revealed to us is a matter of divine testing. Will we trust and and obey? Many times throughout the scripture, God instructed men to do something that was completely contrary to human logic or reason. Think with me of Noah. God told Noah to build an ark because it was going to rain and flood the whole earth. Really? Think of Joshua. God told Joshua to march around the walls of Jericho and they would come tumbling down. Really? God told Gideon, Gideon, 32,000 men is too many to go against the Midianites. 300 will do. Really? And yet God has given us this revelation and we are compelled to obey his instruction whether or not it makes sense. For example, for us, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Are you kidding me? Jesus taught us to forgive 70 times 7. Lord, you want me to set aside a portion of my increase each week and give it back to you, even when I can't afford it? These things don't make sense to us, but in fact, that is how we demonstrate our faith. As James wrote, faith is proven by our works of obedience. And so the revelation here in Genesis 22, verses one and two, is a, is a test for Abraham. Now, I confess that I have a bit of difficulty with this account now in Genesis 22. My struggle is really twofold. This isn't in your notes, but I struggle with, with first the command of God. How can a God of wisdom and mercy and justice and love command Abraham to offer up his only son, Isaac, as, as a sacrifice? Because human sacrifice was the pagan practice of the Canaanites of the day. It was something that was later condemned by God in the law. Furthermore, such a sacrifice would really have no value in the end anyway because Isaac would be dead and gone and God would still be left unsatisfied. Micah chapter six, verse number seven. Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? These are rhetorical questions and the answer is no. So I have a problem with the command of God at this point. And the fact that God would ultimately stop Abraham before he actually sacrificed Isaac doesn't really solve the problem for me. How could God have given the order in the first place? After all, James 1 assures us that God never entices us or invites us to sin. I don't know the answer other than the qualification in verse number one that this is a test. 
The whole account is to prove Abraham's faith and obedience. Furthermore, I'm mindful that what God asked Abraham to do here to his son is nothing compared to what God did to his own son. God gave his own son to be the substitutionary atonement, to be the lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. We'll talk about that in a moment. So first, the command of God, I struggle with that. Secondly, I, I have difficulty with the conduct of Abraham. The command of God and the conduct of Abraham, specifically the silence of Abraham. Why did Abraham intercede for Sodom and Gomorrah? Remember back in Genesis 18? But there's no evidence here that Abraham interceded for his own son Isaac in this case. There's no record of Abraham pleading with God to spare Isaac. I can't help but believe that perhaps he did. It's just not recorded for us there. Maybe between verses two and three, maybe Moses omitted the recording of that intercession when writing this chapter to highlight Abraham's obedience beginning in verse number three. In fact, look there, verse number three. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son, and he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Just like that, Abraham is obeying God's command. Verse number four, then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship and we will come back to you. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife and the two of them went together. If number one is God's revelation, Abraham's test, number two is the preparation, Abraham's trust. The preparation, Abraham's trust. Have you ever had to do something that you really didn't want to do, like, like maybe take some medicine? It looked bad, it smelled bad, it tasted awful. And you know that, so what do you do? You quickly, you close your eyes and you quickly, you take the medicine, and then something else to drink to wash it down to get it over with as quickly as possible. Perhaps you're going to the doctor and you're due for a shot. The best way to go is to walk in, sit down, get it over with. I hate it when you have to wait. And you wait there and then you watch the doctor or nurse come in and they sort out the needles. Do you know what I'm saying? Then they, they pick the largest of the needles and they have that little vial of whatever poison they're going to give you and, and, and they, uh, they put the syringe there and they draw out that medicine and, and then they hold it up to the light, right? And they, they flick it with their finger. Have you seen, you know what I'm saying? And you're, sitting, you're like, I'm right here watching this. And, and then they, they give you the shot in the arm or whatever the case may be and it's torture, what do you do if you have to, to take a Band-Aid off? We know you rip it off as quickly as possible. You don't slowly peel it back because it hurts. Folks, Abraham didn't have the luxury of obeying God quickly. He had to think about it and he had to prepare for it. Ab- Abraham's obedience had to be very deliberate and he had to chop the wood for the altar. And if you can imagine the in- internal struggle with, with each swing of the ax, verse four explains to us that it was three days before they arrived at the dreaded destination. Three days of agony, yet with each task of preparation and each moment of progression, Abraham had to trust God. Again, I, I would think of, of Noah 
Noah there is building the ark. He has to trust God day after day, decade after decade. Everyone thought he was a lunatic. He might have even thought he was a lunatic, perhaps asking his wife, have I lost my mind? Am I still doing the right thing? And yet he goes out the next day and continues building the ark. Verse number seven. Verse number seven, but Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, my father, and he said, here I am, my son. Then he said, look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, my son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. This is number three, the proclamation, Abraham's testimony the proclamation, Abraham's testimony. Now, children ask a lot of questions. Children ask silly questions, easy questions, nonsense questions, curiosity questions. But what child has ever asked a question as difficult as Isaac's question? And what parent has ever answered with such a profound answer as Abraham's testimony? Now, we don't know Isaac's age. But we can reason a bit. Think with me here. Isaac is old enough to carry the wood for the altar, for the burnt offering. Verse number six. How old do you have to be to carry the wood? Ten? Twelve? Perhaps sixteen? We know that this account occurred before Sarah's death Chapter 23, verse number one, Sarah died when she was 127 years old. If Isaac was born to Sarah when she was 90 and she died at 127, that means that Isaac would have been 37 when Sarah died. So then Isaac is now younger than 37. Isaac here is referred to as Abraham's only son, the son whom he loved in verse number two. So enough time must have passed from the sending away of Ishmael for Abraham to put all of his affection exclusively toward Isaac. I would guess that Isaac was somewhere in his later teens or or 20s. But whatever Isaac's age, Isaac was old enough to understand what was going on. And so Isaac's question was not a question of a small child, but rather the educated inquiry of a man. And Father Abraham prophetically answered, God will provide himself a lamb. Verse number seven, that's, that's quite a testimony in Abraham's answer there. If only we could be so sure in our expressions of faith, if only we could boldly declare and testify, God is in control. He will make a way. I can't see the solution right now. I don't have an answer for you other than trust and obey was Abraham's testimony. Look at verse number nine. Then they came to the place of which God had told him, and Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order, and he bound Isaac his son and laid upon the altar upon the wood, and Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. So number four, the dedication. Abraham's torment. I've copied for you there what Bible commentator John Phillips has written I'll put it again also on the the screen. He says, can we not feel what Abraham felt? Can we not enter into the anguish that rent his soul? 
Can we not understand how much he shrank from the deed ahead? Can we not see how leaded were his feet as he dragged them toward the brow of the hill? Can we not catch the secret glance he stole at his son, his only son, his beloved, his only Isaac? Can we not hear the inward groan as he sobbed in his soul? Oh, my son Isaac, my son, my son Isaac. Would to God that I could die for thee, O Isaac, my son, my son. And folks, from building the altar to bringing the wood to bearing the knife, each act is recorded here in verses nine and 10. I might also add that Abraham probably could not have offered Isaac without Isaac's consent and cooperation. We can assume if Isaac was the bearer of the wood, he was the stronger of the two. He was a young man, probably faster than Father Abraham. He he could have been strong enough to overpower his father, fast enough to flee or resist his father. Apparently, however, Isaac decided to obey his father and trust the Lord. The dedication, Abraham's torment, number five, the preservation, Abraham's thought. In reading verses 11 through 13, we read that God intervened, and and you know the story. He prevented Abraham from harming his son, preserving him from death. Look at verse 11. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. Now, I am convinced that Abraham here was caught off guard. And though his hand may have trembled, and he may have paused for just a moment, I'm convinced that Abraham was fully intending to plunge the knife into his son Isaac. You say, well, Pastor Matt, why do you think that? According to Hebrews 11, verse number 19, Abraham thought, this is Abraham's thought, he thought that God would raise Isaac from the dead. Look at it before you there. Hebrews 11, by faith Abraham, when he was tested, that's Genesis 21, verse number one, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, in Isaac your seed shall be called. This is the the covenant promise. Concluding... This is Abraham's thought. Concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, the only thought that Abraham could cling to was that God would have to raise Isaac from the dead. For if God was, gonna, if God was going to fulfill his covenant promises to Abraham, it had to be through Isaac. It had to be through the promised seed and son. Therefore, resurrection from the dead was the only human explanation or expectation that Abraham could think of. Abraham was convinced that God was going to work a miracle in some way and preserve Isaac because back in verse number five, look back to verse number five, Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey, the lad and I will will go yonder and worship and we will come back to you. Abraham's thoughts revealed his faith in God that God would somehow preserve Isaac in some way. Folks, what a great proof of faith it is when we can trust and obey with conviction that God will do the impossible to fulfill his promises to us. 
A moment ago, I I mentioned our, our giving to the Lord. We know God's command for us to set aside a portion of our increase on the first day of the week and give it back to him as an offering. But folks, the math doesn't always work. And we can't always afford to give. After all, maybe you've heard, inflation is out of control. You say, yeah, you see, Pastor Matt, I want to give to the Lord. I, I, just, I just can't right now, you see. What has God promised us? He's promised to meet all of our needs, supply all of our needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. God has promised that he will provide. Would we dare to think that God could do the impossible and provide our needs in some unexpected radical way if we simply obey him in that one area of our Christian lives. God did for Abraham and preserved Isaac by preventing him from any harm, providing a substitute for him. Verse number 14, and Abraham called the name of the place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. The language there in verse 14, it's Jehovah Jireh, or Yahweh Jireh is the Hebrew. The Lord will provide. And this is number six, the designation, Abraham's title. Now, I know the outline is complete, but don't put your things away just yet. This is an important conclusion here. Jehovah Jireh, or Jehovah Yahweh Jireh, it's what Abraham named the place. And that name is very rich in meaning. Abraham didn't call the place. Abraham was obedient. But the Lord will provide. Abraham didn't call the place. Isaac was submissive. But the Lord will provide. And that teaches us so much about God more than Abraham. And I'd like to suggest just a few ways in which God provided here in this case. And perhaps you capture these on the back of your notes. First, God provided the very thing that God demanded. God provided the very thing that God demanded. God demanded a blood sacrifice as atonement for sin. And it was for that reason that God's, God accepted Abel's offering, but not Cain's offering. You remember earlier in the book of Genesis. In this case, God provided a ram, an adult male sheep caught in the thickets. God provided what God demanded. Secondly, God provided assurance of his promises. In verses 15 through, through 18, we, we have the final recorded instance of God speaking to Abraham. In verse 16, God reaffirmed his promises to Abraham saying, by myself I have sworn. Certainly unusual for God to speak with an oath in that way, but there was no one greater to swear by. In fact, Hebrews 6 verse 13 says, for when God made a promise to Abraham because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself. And so here again, God is providing assurance of his promises. Third, God provided Abraham's future needs. I'm not speaking here of the the ram, but if we were to take the time, Genesis 22 concludes, and your eyes can just scan those final verses, um, how that Abraham's brother Nahor would become the father of 12 nations, of 12 sons. They would later become the the ancestors of the 12 Armenian tribes. And the point of this list at the end of chapter 22 is to introduce the future bride for Isaac. We know her as Rebecca. Verse 20, 23 there. No doubt Abraham must have feared how he would ever find a bride for, for Isaac, but 
God had already taken care of that, and you see that there in the record at the end of the chapter. And then fourthly, God provided, and this is where we're gonna conclude, God provided in Genesis 22 a picture for us all. Now follow this. From this high point of scripture, from this mountaintop, Mount Moriah, we can see a clear view of Jesus in the distance. Abraham prophetically declared in verse number eight, God will provide for himself a lamb for the burnt offering. Okay, that's what Abraham told his son Isaac. And in fact, that happened, God did provide. It was a ram caught in the thicket. It was the necessary and acceptable sacrifice. So then why didn't Abraham name the name of the place in Genesis 22 verse number 14, God did provide? Why did Abraham call it God will provide? Here's the answer. Abraham was looking forward in faith to a future day beyond his own day when God would provide his only son, Jesus Christ, as the lamb. Notice in verse number 14, as it is said to this day. What does that mean? Look at verse 14. It refers to the day when Moses wrote Genesis. We understand that Moses wrote the book of Genesis 500 years after Abraham. And when under inspiration of the Spirit of God, Moses is writing Genesis 22, he says, as it is said to this day, 500 years after Abraham's mountaintop experience in Genesis 22, people of faith were still saying, in the mount of the Lord, it will be, it shall be provided. Abraham was looking prophetically to a future provision of a lamb, the lamb of God to take away the sin of the world on that very mountain, Mount Moriah, which you may or may not know is the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. The proof of Abraham's faith was his obedience to God's command because his eyes of faith could see further than his current circumstances. And he could see prophetically that God would provide the lamb to take away the sin of the world. And we know this, for Jesus would say in John 8, verse 56, Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he was glad. The eyes of faith. Abraham, Jesus said, Abraham rejoiced to see my day and was glad. So folks, I would submit to you this morning that the the proof of faith is looking to Jesus as the one final Lamb of God who was slain for us. And someday, as we gather around the throne, we will collectively Say, worthy is the lamb who was slain. Let's pray. God in heaven, I thank you for this Old Testament account, this event in which Abraham proved his faith by obeying your command. But God, beyond that, the eyes of faith that Abraham demonstrated in seeing our Lord Jesus Christ the Lamb of glory. God, I pray for those here this morning, perhaps under the sound of my voice, who don't understand these things. Perhaps they have questions. Perhaps they have not demonstrated faith in 
by looking to Jesus. I pray that by your grace, your sovereign grace, that you would draw them to yourself and grant them the faith to believe. Lord, for the many believers here this morning that we might look to Jesus, the lamb slain for our sin. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.